Cars today are safer, more reliable, and packing more technology than ever before. But if you're looking for an appliance on wheels, this isn't your show. We want to help everyone find a car they'll really love, capable on the commute, and a laugh on your favorite road. If you take the long way home, this is for you. New cars, used cars, whatever your budget, whatever your needs, if you like to drive, we want to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us. What a day full of speed. This day has just been filled with speed. And I feel like I haven't yeah. really properly been able to debrief with you about what everything that went on today. I'm just – my That's head true. is still spinning. And uh, we drove home in the car together and talked. But I, I, I kind of feel like this podcast will be a bit of a debrief, and I'm looking forward to it. So – well, I think so. I mean, we, we were, we've been running and gunning all day. I mean, we put up our Facebook questions really late, and you guys still responded. Thank you. We have been out at uh, what used to be Miller Motorsports Park, now referred to as Utah Motorsports Campus, I think, UMC. Yeah. Uh, we were out there for a one-day Ford Performance Racing School, this time in the Mustang GTs. So we have a film coming up for that in a little while, similar to our ST Octane film from last year. But there's different things going on, most specifically faster speeds and rear-wheel drive. That was a really fun day of fast driving. And, uh, yeah, but we hopped in the car and did, a, like, uh, the production debrief and then, like, the pre-pro for the podcast. Never actually talked about the fact that, <laughs> yeah. hey, we drove fast all day. So, yeah. Gosh, it was festival of speed all day. The podcast is all about speed. We've got a question from Rob F. He doesn't say where he's writing from, but get this. He is near Tale of the Dragon. So he is mm -hmm. somewhere in the Midwest. I think he's pretty close there in the United States. And uh, he is writing in because he's got this – he's likening to this this Paul syndrome, this downward spir spiral of I can't decide what to get next. And he's yeah. got some very specific requirements here that we're really excited to touch on. Uh, but uh, – We've got a bunch of talking points up front, not the least of which is the the racing school. Like, yeah, it was just uh, <laughs> driving driving yeah, home is just a, a bore now. <laughs> you know, nobody understands you had, what we've just done. You had done. so much trouble in traffic. Yeah, get out he's of the way. Tail of the dragon, so he's somewhere. You know, North Carolina, Tennessee. Who knows where he is for sure? But yeah. uh, the fact that you're near that road and you called that out is uh, that's good news. So yeah. we'll get to his car debate in a little while because he's debating a lot of very fun stuff. Uh, I don't know that I have anything grand to say about the uh, about the Ford Racing School Day, except for the fact I think I touched on this with you a little bit. I I just I really like getting varied instruction, mm -hmm. and I guess I've yeah. been with enough instructors yeah. at this point that I'm starting to realize, you know, every instructor has kind of their go fast tactics, and while there are absolutely similarities, driving styles vary. And like I had an instructor today who was actually all about m modulating your braking but i've had an instructor before that was all about absolutely just trying to kill the pedal like you're trying to hurt it anytime you brake mm -hmm. and both yeah. of these guys are very fast drivers it's not like right. one of them can't drive well and the other drives well so it's to, to be with two guys i know both of whom are fast both of whom have got history as drivers and they and they just deal with braking differently that was kind of revelatory for me because I've been just trying. Every time I sit with an instructor, I really try to incorporate, okay, if I incorporate that tactic for a bit, how does it change my driving? Does it improve my driving? Should I throw it out? That's the interesting thing about lots of varied instruction that I'm thoroughly enjoying. Yeah, that was uh, a lot of fun. And as I mentioned to you about we have taken lots of instruction and will continue to do so because 
as we've noted, you can never stop learning, especially you know the racing True. line, especially in racing. But it's time to really start developing and promoting our own unique styles of driving. You and I are very, mm. very similar in speeds, I think, and get there very differently, just like these two instructors you're talking about. Yeah. We yeah. have different yeah, yeah. styles, but we get to, yeah, the same the same lap time. And uh, it's really time to start nurturing that. I feel like, you know, continue to take input, yeah. continue to take, you know, direction from all these experts. But think about all those pro drivers. They've settled on a style that works for them. So, therefore, mm-hmm. this is what works for me. I'm this type and this personality it works for me they're both very fast and then develop that and really nurture that so really yeah, it's interesting because i feel too. like yeah i know i feel like and maybe i'm being naive here but i feel like you know there's this impression in driving and a lot of other things at, at least kind of an outside perspective that everybody that's world class does it the same and within reason they do but then mm-hmm. inside that doing it the same there's a lot of little personal nuance and, and I'm, I'm finding that intriguing in just the go-fast world. I, I, I am finding that quite exciting. Uh, so that was a fun day, and we have a film of that coming up in the not-too-distant future. So that is in the roster uh, and shot now. So we ran around crazy, and Chance shot with us all day, and he went nuts. And it was a very cool day. Yeah, it was. The, uh, the briefing this morning was, was fun because we were hosted by the Ford Performance Racing School, and notably That's Dan right. McKeever, yes. who is son of Danny McKeever, who runs Fast Lane Racing School out of Willow Springs. And mm-hmm. he starts the we've class. Worked with too, yeah. We've worked with him. So he starts the class by asking, so who here has had track experience? <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we've, we've had track experience. You know where it is. And so I, Which, I offered this I, up. I, I, I have to say, though, honestly, I expected that question. I didn't expect his follow-up because mm-hmm. who has track experience? Mm-hmm. I expected we'd all raise our hands and thank you very much. And, but, but the follow-up was the killer. And, and, I, and I want you to tell the story. But the follow-up that was so classic is as soon as he asked the follow-up question, in my mind, this is what I thought. I thought, oh, no, we're about to be those guys. Yeah. Because his follow-up <laughs> question was, oh, okay, so you've had track experience, guys. What tracks have you been on? And I kind of went, oh, no. Oh, no. So I responded because how could we not? And I you know, first was thinking, well, Willow Springs with your dad. And mm-hmm. then yeah. the, the infield course for Motor Press Guild Track Day at the infield uh-huh. of the California Speedway, which is something, but it's it's not a fast track. Yeah. It's just a tiny road course. Yeah. And then I said, well, Spa in, in Belgium and uh, the Nürburgring Nordschleife in Germany. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's true. I, you've seen our pilgrimage film. If yeah. you haven't, I will that ship one your, to you. That but. was your mic drop moment right there. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, by the way, in the ring and spa. Anyway. And then um, we yeah. were those guys. Like, oh, no. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Well, it, I, I'm not going to lie. I can't deny it. But uh, yeah. but like I said, just because we've been at those tracks, you know, we've met a lot of amazing drivers and we will continue to do so and continue to receive instruction. But it was it was fun to share that. So uh, just kind of yeah, crazy. Yeah, it really was. Just really kind of crazy. So speaking of Mustangs, I have to – give the audience an update they didn't ask for but you and i have found it very interesting oh the yeah. owner justin of the two mustangs we recently drove we had that piece the uh, the boss 302 versus the uh mustang shelby gt350 and that's been playing really well thank you to those of you that have watched and commented 
Uh, but the owner, it was the same owner of both those cars, a friend of the show named Justin out in uh, the, San, the San Jose area. And uh, he recently wrote to us and said something very interesting because many of you have commented <laughs> that, the, that the GT350 is really cool except for dealer markup. Now, you're right. That's a terrible thing, and eventually that will go away and those cars will settle out. Right now they're ridiculous. But Justin wrote us to say, hey, guys, by the way, I sold my GT350. He sold the car. So we drove while we, the one you just yeah, saw yeah, us yeah. driving. It's gone. He sold it. Yeah, yeah. It's gone. He sold it. And it had like, by the time he sold it, maybe 4,000 miles on it. Yeah. I expected, and Justin's good at getting good deals. I mean, he got a good deal on that car. He actually got it for fifty one grand, which is a fine. But I expected he sold it. I don't know what you thought, but I expected he sold it to a private individual and probably made a little bit more than his money back. No, no. No, no. He had a <laughs> Cadillac dealer offer him more than ten grand, more than he paid for it. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, not, I just, uh, yeah, yeah, something well, else. And, and as, you, something as, else. as you said, as you said, they aren't going to turn around and sell it for what they just bought it for. They're going to mark it up again. And Justin's car was amazing, but it was a base GT three hundred and fifty. So let's just guess on rough math. Are they going to list that for sixty five or seventy? I'm sorry, but no. Right. I just, wow. And that was one of the reasons that the Mustang GT350 was a top contender for me, but I didn't want to pay that markup. And if you've ever wondered, I yeah. certainly have, when you're scrolling through used car ads, they're slightly used, and you think, how did this car have like 2,000 miles or 4,000 miles, <laughs> and somebody traded it in? How is this possible? Why did you get rid of it? There's a number of different yeah. reasons. Some cars are outside of people's driving skills, and they just, whoa, I, this is too much for me. Yeah, Other things sure. happen like this where you're offered more. He made money on that car. And, yes, as you said, got a good deal. Obviously, I don't know that he was in it for speculation. That's not generally why you buy cars unless you're in the classic car realm. But And I, and I don't think that's why he was. But no, it was clearly really a don't. deal He's that a he was fan. like, if you're going to offer me that, done. And, and that's the thing. If – you know, any of the things we own, if somebody wants to buy it for more, fine, sold, gone. It's just mm -hmm. a car. It's just a thing. And I, I mean, amazing. So, yeah, that Cadillac dealer now has one for sale for 4,000 miles on it. You know, <laughs> why did somebody only keep it for four, with 4,000 miles? Because they got ten grand more than they paid. That's why. You'd probably yeah. do the same thing. So, And now starring in this video, I'm uh, your car. Well, or if your soon-to-be car. Yeah. If you're wondering what he did buy, he did share that with us, and I think we can share that with the audience as well. A completely different direction than a Mustang. And I looked yeah. this up. He bought a brand Talk new... Talk about broadening your horizons. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he jumped into something completely different. This is an Alpina B6 Grand Coupe. So the BMW 6 Series that is tuned up to 600 horsepower, twin turbo. This is a 200-mile-an-hour car. It's gorgeous. Just unbelievable. But you know, entirely different from the Mustang and, and that, mm -hmm. you know, the, the image that that projects. But I can definitely say well, he is a, a Mustang enthusiast at heart. He kept the boss, so that's a good thing. Well, and his most of the, th the things he's always owned have been Ford, so he's definitely branching out. So kudos right. to you there, Justin. Yeah, However, I'm going to say congratulations on sitting in your 200-mile I mean, car uh, while you're sitting in traffic in the Bay Area, that's going to be an interesting juxtaposition. But uh, you'll have, have the com the comfort of knowing you could beat most things around you if you were all moving. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, yeah, congratulations, Justin. That is fantastic. Huge, huge decision. But I'd do the same thing if somebody offered me money for the Cayman. 
I'd yeah. Heck. Well, yeah. uh, you you say you say that. Well, okay. I, you, all right. I, all right. You I got don't me. know. I, I, right, I've maybe. seen the beginning of your love affair with the GTS. I I think if somebody offered you more than you paid for it, I think that'd be a tough call for you. So I, I throw down to some listener right right now who has uh, who has disposable income and is looking for a nice Cayman GTS. I'd love to see Paul squirm. Anyway, um, but I mean, uh, we should probably their move number, on. Right? Everybody's got their number. I don't know what mine yes. is, but. Exactly. I, I don't know. So speaking speaking of uh, uh, of issues or things, we're not sure how they're going to play out. Did you see this Subaru uh, recall thing? Mm. Yeah, I did. Uh, you might have seen this on all your favorite news websites, car news websites as well. But it was all over the national news, and that is from Subaru, the 2016 and 17 Outback and Legacy. They have instructed every owner of those cars to stop driving immediately. And we do mean immediately. And it is because what we've read here, as you probably will too, it's improper machining in the steering column. So therefore, ultimately what it does is the angle of the steering wheel will have no impact on the direction of rear travel. (laughs) Meaning you turn the wheel, nothing happens. It could, let's, it could let's, cause let's massive cla- Let's clarify accidents. this. Let's clarify this. The, the reason we're even bringing this up, because, I mean, look, recalls happen all the time. We did a podcast about recalls. Yes. Most of the time, the recalls are, in certain situations, your driver's uh, window switch might not go down. It's, it's <laughs> it stuff that you need to get fixed at some point. <laughs> Very rarely do you have a recall where the manufacturer says, please stop driving this vehicle. Yeah. That's yeah. why we're bringing this up. And, and let's be honest, the sum up of this, you, you fight through all of the terminology. The sum up is, by the way, your steering might not work. This is the recall. <laughs> so, so, so what it literally means is, what it literally aye, means aye. is, you need to hire a tow truck and have them take your car to the dealer. This is why this is worth, worth bringing up. I mean, the last one I can think of like this was the Porsche GT3s where the engines would spontaneously combust, and it was suddenly, please don't drive those cars. But very rarely do you have a manufacturer that has a recall that is accompanied with, do not drive the car. So uh, look into that if you have one of those models and definitely follow up on it. We'd love to hear more about it. But that is kind of shocking, honestly. So we want to at least mention it because that's not a common recall reality. No, and it's it's clear from your mention of Porsche, it happens to every car manufacturer. Porsche is no exception. Everybody at mm-hmm. some point gets it wrong, yeah, yeah. and they will take steps to fix it. Fortunately, I don't think there's too many of those of Outbacks and Legacies on the roads quite yet. But if you do own that brand new Subaru Outback and Legacy, please stop driving it and see well, your not, dealer. It's not exactly, it's not exactly a, a unique, rare car, though. I mean, it's not no. obviously 10 years' worth of problems here. This is obviously that they have a confined number of dates They'll for them. And, to and contain they that this, you know, pretty quickly. But at the same time, yeah. And, you know, of course... I'm sure Subaru is going to deal, as you said, but it's just fascinating to see a recall that is of that nature of please do not drive. Anyway, um, shall we talk about Rob's car debate? Yes. I wanted to mention one thing before we do, and that is about uh, this podcast is number 98. And Mm -hmm. Todd and I have decided for number 100, that's a milestone. It's actually come sooner than we expected because we started doing double podcasts per week. So twice Mm -hmm. a week podcast. Yeah, yeah. We've decided that number 100, we will talk about everything except cars. Of course, with a few exceptions, but <laughs> everything but cars. So what we need from you is your questions. Start thinking of your questions now, and we will pick and choose and make an entire podcast <laughs> devoted to everything but cars. Because that's all we talk about is just, 
I mean, yeah. we had a, a festival of speed today, and we're still now talking about cars again after doing yeah. track and driving. And we will prompt. We will promptly get back to cars afterward. But this is definitely yes. an AMA. It's an ask us anything kind of thing. And uh, and I'm just very curious and a little frightened because I had a couple people that have written us already on Facebook and been like, "I've got my questions ready. Where do I post them?" And oh, I said, no. "Well, not yet. <laughs> just just hang on to." Them. So we're maybe just trying we should be advertising. Pump. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't be advertising. But but since we're doing twice a week, that does mean that a week from today, next Tuesday's podcast, will be that 100. So brace yourself. Uh, or maybe we should say we should brace ourselves. We should. But, yeah, be, that is coming. <laughs> we should be the ones bracing. So, yeah. Yeah, seriously. Yikes. So so Rob has written to us from uh, southeastern U.S. And uh, he, he is debating two main things. But I don't. I, I also get the sense that he doesn't know if he's right about these two things, which is funny. Hmm. He's been a longtime YouTube viewer. Thank you for that. He's just found the podcast. We're glad to have you with us. So, Rob, you're debating essentially a used 991-911 Porsche and a new M2. They are approximately the same price at, you know, probably 65 ish for those two. You, you have found base 991s. Good shopping on that, by the way. Uh, and you're thinking about essentially this is a step up. You have a 2015 Golf R. And you have a uh, NA Miata, so first-gen Miata, that is your kind of track days, track prepped car. But you're thinking about what is that next step up from the, from the Golf into, like, the higher bracket of cars. And with your budget, you're looking at a 991 or an M2, and then it spirals from there into, or this, or that, or what about this? What do I do? So here we are. Rob, I was laughing reading this because Rob writes to us and saying that please help us because he's suffering from circular logic downward spiral, also known as the Paul syndrome. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I admit to that. However, I Thank don't Thank God get... we've given it a name. <laughs> we've identified it. Now we can excise yes. it. We can cut it off. Anyway. Yeah. Um, theoretically. Theoretically. Uh, so he writes to us and he's, he's asking about this. But the idea that I get is not that Rob is, you know, the the Porsche file like I am, the Porsche freak out kind oh, of a guy. I, I don't get that mm -hmm. sense. He's really looking for something. And he says here, uh, by the way, um, after hearing the podcast, he he's wondering if he should just hang on for the M2. But being ninth on an M2 list, he's now hearing late summer 2017. If you're listening to this podcast at this point, hopefully Rob has his car by then. But we, we just don't know. At this point in time, BMW is being very cagey. They're releasing very little information. And the cars that you do mm -hmm. see out there are sort of the tease cars. They're not yeah. always the right color combination. And if you're going to order a car, get what you want. So he's just wondering, yeah. should I get something else as a Golf R owner? And he's got this modded first-gen Miata. I, I think he's wondering, I, I need something that fills that sports car gap. But I don't know mm -hmm. that he's got the Porsche in the hip pocket kind of like I do, sort of run home to mama no, sort I mean, of feeling. A Porsche could fit that, but so could something else. Sure. Which is good. Which I mean, is good. It's it's clear. He's got a couple of little things that, that color this as well. He's got about sixty five grand to spend on the high side. He certainly could go less. Uh, he would prefer to have a back seat. Doesn't have to have one, but prefer to have a back seat. So right there, a lot of things are off the table because he has two kids that like to come with him on drives of Tale of the Dragon. Okay, cool. So we've added the back seat scenario, at least small back seats. And, of course, the 991 still does that. The M2 still does that. But things like a 370Z, which would be a good answer here, things like a Cayman, they're out. Mm -hmm. They're, they're mm -hmm. gone. Yeah. So, so we have to think about some of those kind of greatest hits cars are out. 
But he's asked about all kinds of things because he's curious about manual transmission and he wants nimble. And I don't know if you noticed this, Paul, but it totally colored my thoughts here. Mm, he okay. found the, the last-gen M3 DCT too big and unwieldy. That's telling. Yeah. That makes him lean toward the current M2 because he thinks the M3 is too big. So he wants small and nimble. And he's even said, considering that, should he get another Miata? Well, I'm going to say to you, no, you have a Miata. And so you filled that niche, and it doesn't have back seats, and you're talking about wanting to step up. So I think you have a Miata, great, leave that Miata. But then he even says, what about the Focus RS? What about the BRZ FRS? You are very stuck, Rob. There's no question. And I want to say to you, please go drive the BRZ or the FRS. I don't know if you have, but six-speed manual, small, nimble, small back seats, surprisingly usable. You should go drive that car as a, as a touchstone, as a reference point. I don't think it's the answer, but if you haven't had a good drive in one, find a friend with one, get a really good drive. Find somebody at Tail of the Dragon and just say, ride with me, can I take your car the other direction? Because you really should get that car as a reference point for the shopping. I have two ideas, and neither of them are the ones that, he, he, that he's looked at. Hmm... I've got two ideas as well, and I, I feel like Rob needs some Mentos for his car thinking here. Something that's fresh thinking and... Some, I, I, some Mentos. Some Mentos wow. for, you know, Mentos I, for the car disease. What would that be? Would a that myriad be? of terrible TV commercials are rolling through my head right now. Thanks for that reference. <laughs> uh, my pleasure, actually. Uh, <laughs> Just just hearing, Rob, hearing that you said you've done the Evora S, the Cayman, the M3, BMWs, Porsches, and it seems like your suggestions here, you're just kind of grasping and reaching for something. And it's unclear to me whether you're going to get rid of the Golf R and, mm -hmm. and the Miata and just go for one car. A little bit unclear, but the budget here is 65000 US or less. Manual transmission, again, with the small, nimble thing. Yeah, I can't believe the last-gen M3 is too big, but um, okay, all right. And then he's saying backseat is a plus because of his two kids, and he likes to go on mm -hmm. the tail of the dragon. So yep. these two, one is uh, one is a – well, I guess they're both a stretch, but I kind of felt like I had to to get you thinking differently, I guess. And mm. maybe these are the suggestions that help you land on something else – but at least if it gets you thinking of, hey, these exist, they both do wildly different things, but they could fit the bill here. I'm not saying these are the ones. I'm only okay. offering these up just as a, a way of thinking differently because that's what – I'm trying to get him unstuck is the big thing here. Sure. You're trying to – yeah, I get that. So what? where are you? So I came back to that car that you and I, during my car search, we had discussed, and you had pushed hard and lobbied mm -hmm. hard for this car – it is rare, unique. I mean, rare doesn't even begin to describe it. It's crazy hmm. unique and rare. And okay. very, maybe a bit strange, but maybe that'd be okay. So I'm thinking, Rob, if you keep the Golf R, keep the car, what if you mm -hmm. looked at the Project 818 from Factory 5? And on mm. their website, yeah. I had thought of this and, and ran it by Todd, and he just went, oh, yes, go after it, call them right away. They've got their SEMA show car from a year or two ago in black. This is a very Cayman-esque looking car because they've done a hard it top on it. It's sort yeah. of first-gen Cayman-esque looking car. And I think it'd be pretty inexpensive to get rid of the Miata and add this as the 
crazy, wild, tail of the dragon kind of very focused car, but because It'll you're be keeping unique. the golf. be very unique. Yeah, I see that. I see um, that. Yeah. And again, maybe I mean, it's, it's not it's... the car. Maybe it just points you in a different direction. Maybe it just gets you thinking differently. Go poke around mm-hmm. on the factory web- website, Factory 5 website, and look at this Project 818. Look at what it is. And yeah, yeah, it's cool. I, it's cool, but it's definitely a track focused car. Oh, yes. you know, I mean, even though it's street regal, definitely a track car. And, and, and the thing I think is craziest about it, I bring this up every time we, we, we brush up against it. You, you end up taking a donor uh, Subaru WRX. You can do the non-turbo or the turbo. And, of course, that changes your power uh, quotient. But what they do to make a mid-engine car out of a, a project car, mid-engine car, is you literally take the front half of the Subaru drivetrain. So the engine and what was the front axle, and that becomes the mid-engine rear axle of your new mid-engine car. Right. That is, somebody had a stroke of genius for that idea. It is very cool. You're right. It blows away the old Miata, and it takes that in a different kind of track direction, and then I think that ends up becoming a car you do Tail of the Dragon by yourself because it is a two-seater and it is a kit car. But if you have the Golf R, that can still cover. I see how you got there. Okay, that's you're touching on the problem with that car. It doesn't. It might not have the refinement of the other cars you've listed, the German cars mm-hmm. and the Lotus. It's not going to have that refinement, and it doesn't have the back seats. So that led me to thinking about the 2017 Camaro LT 1LE. So this is with okay. the 3.6 liter V6. It's not the full SS 1LE. By the way, Chevy is making the 1LE package for both the V6 and the V8, if you, didn't, mm. if you weren't mm. aware of that. So I thought, all right, what about keeping the Golf R again and going for the, this, the Camaro LT 1LE, which is essentially mm-hmm. a track package for this car. And before you roll your eyes at me, Rob, I, we have not driven <laughs> this car because it's not available yet. But I would suggest just go driving this new sixth-generation Camaro and coming back and seeing what you think. Because everybody's saying it's a smaller, more nimble car, and it does have the back seats. Yes, it's a bigger car. Yeah, agreed. agreed. If the M3 is too big, you might just toss this right out the window. But this car is coming. It might be available this year. Chevrolet has not announced anything at this point. But it, not only does it appear smaller, people are saying it's more nimble, you know, better packaged, all those kinds of things. And you might go take a drive and then think, huh, what if, what if? Again, both these choices designed to get you thinking differently, not as a, you know, different than most of our podcasts as you can go find this car right now. Both of these cars do very different things. You know, get get yourself thinking outside the box sort of, you know, that that's really where I'm going with this because you Mm -hmm. may come back to a 991. You may come back to a, you know, and just you know what? I'm going to wait for the M2. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I, I, Great. you know, that that's the interesting thing here. I mean, yeah, the the two you're leaning toward are the 991. You, you found a, a C2, so so essentially the base current generation 991 in manual for 65 grand. That is a fine, by the way, and, a, and an interesting car, no question. You it does everything you want to do, or wait for the M2. Yeah, but you're you know 18 months, two years away by the time that car shows up. So I understand. Right. I mean, clearly, Paul right. Paul was unable to wait. So clearly, that's an issue. <laughs> I couldn't do um, it. I couldn't but do uh, it. yeah, yeah. But so I actually was really inspired by the M3 feeling too big, and wanting to have back seats. And I am going to say again, I don't think it's the answer, but I think you need to go drive the FRS BRZ just for reference. If you haven't driven one yet, please drive that. I think the M2 is an interesting hang on for it car. But I'm going to say to you, what about the M235i? 
Yeah. You could go get one of those right now, and it would be a step up in, you know, you wanting to kind of step into the next level of things. I mean, we even talked about on the M235 and uh, S3 film that we did, we talked about how we felt that Golf R could have been there in place of the S3 in some ways. I mean, you are stepping up in, in a class there to that M235i. That is an impressive car. You could go get one right now and have money left over. So I think that's a worthwhile mm-hmm. thing. I, I don't know. I think you're taking a little bit of a dice roll on wanting a car where you are right now, driving yourself crazy, and then waiting 18 months. Maybe that's not the right choice. So I have two other thoughts. And one is, I threw out the 991 for you. Threw it right out. Really? And here's why. If the M3 is too big, you know what? The 991's problem is it's become a bigger 911. It's bigger than you think. It, it I mean, we talked about it in our yeah. We talked about it in our, our 911 film. Technically, and this is going to sound nuts, and if you've never looked at them side by side or looked at the measurements, you're going to think I'm nuts. Technically, the current generation Viper is shorter than the current 991. Let that a, settle in your brain for a such minute. That's a crazy it's, stat. It's, it's one of those like weird design conundrums because the Viper looks enormous, but the stats do play that out. So the 991 is not the small 911 that it used to be. But I would say to you, with 65 grand, here's my answer. One of two things. You first need to really go drive the Lotus Evora. Consider it seriously. We have a friend, Craig, that let us drive his Evora when we did a fast blast on it last year. Yeah, he has a right. daughter. He picks her up from school in it. They love driving it. He drove everything, Rob. He drove everything before he settled on the Evora. And it just had a flavor and a style just with him in, in handling that he didn't find in anything else. So please go drive that car. I think that may be your answer. However, since I threw out the 991, I'm going to say this to you. With 65 grand, go 997, the generation prior. So we're talking 05 to 2011, 2012. Okay. That generation 911. When we did 50 years of 911, I preferred it over the 991 because it was a smaller car. Still very well refined. The six speeds from that generation are fantastic. And for 65 grand, you can get a hot one. Forget your base C2 manual 991. You could get a turbo 997. You could, you would actually. Shock, you would shock yourself with the performance of that car. You could be in a the turbo, 07, 08 range of turbos, Rob. Yes, a turbo 997, 911. If you're looking at 911s at all and your issue is you want small and light, I say no 991, go 997. Drive that, benchmark it against the Evora. And I think one of those two cars is your answer. Sometimes Miatas are the answer, but apparently not today because you already have one. So that's really funny. That's yes. really interesting. When you already have a Miata, it doesn't, the answer it's, doesn't work again. That's the true. answer doesn't work again. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with Todd. Don't get two Miatas. And, uh, again, I don't, I don't get the sense that you are in the tank for Porsche like I am. I really don't. You're just – Waiting and few, looking around. Few people are. In in <laughs> fact, in fact, I I'm going to use that as our jumping off point for Facebook questions because there was a Facebook question okay. that when I read it tonight, I I I'm not kidding. I literally burst out laughing when I read this question. <laughs> I know it's one. It's not it one of those. Oh, I laughed out loud and I didn't really. No, I literally I stopped I stopped what I was doing and just laughed for a minute. John Ha, thank you, thank you for your Facebook question. His Facebook question is: Does Paul drive the GTS? While wearing a Porsche jacket. And my answer to you, John, is not a Porsche jacket, but yes, a Porsche hat. 
John, I don't use I don't wear a Porsche jacket, but I do wear Porsche cologne, my Porsche shoes, my Porsche pants, and a Porsche shirt while wearing my Porsche Make ball cap. Make it stop. But Make a jacket? Stop. No. Who do you think I am? I mean, come on. <laughs> Make it stop. <laughs> oh no. And and that actually brought up another question that I having actually I have to I have to rat you out a little bit. Uh, my son, uh, my son thinks Paul is awesome. He refers to him as Uncle Paul. Yeah. And so every now and then, my son just says, "Hey, I want to hang out with Uncle Paul." And that that happened tonight. We just come back from this long day of driving. We're both really tired, and Paul, to his credit, didn't really want to come by and hang with my son. And I I get it. I totally get it. But he agreed to come by in the new GTS and took my son for a drive. Now, I want it noted, I have not been in this car yet. My seven-year-old son got to take a blast out of the neighborhood, and the car sounded amazing, in the GTS. Uh, but that related directly back to Dammy's question. Dammy wrote in, and I thought, oh, here's a question for us. The question was, do you allow your kids to eat in your car? How seriously do you take car interior cleanliness and do you have friends who cars' interiors make you wince? I'm going to answer for Paul that everyone else's car interior makes him wince. Um, <laughs> everyone else? Oh, seriously. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But seriously. I do eat I mean, in the Jeep. I have to say. We eat in the yes, Jeep? Yes, you're right. No, I, I, to your credit, you have grown in the years I've known you. I because have. when I first I met have. you, no one ate anything in your cars ever. Uh, I, I ate an apple today in your, in your Jeep. And was not beat up for it. Uh, I just yes. sat there and ate an apple. Uh, you, you actually allow eating in your Jeep, though it is a rare thing. And uh, I don't think my son will be eating anything in any of your cars ever. Probably uh, not. But, Probably yeah, not. Yeah, but Dammy, to, to answer your question, though, let's be honest. I have an almost seven-year-old son. He eats stuff in the car. He just does. He, he just does. Luckily, we have instilled in him a little bit of a respect for the car because we keep our cars pretty clean, at least as far as just clutter is concerned. Um, I mean, that's what drives me nuts. I mean, the car interior is going to get used. There are plenty of cleaning products. But what drives me nuts is the clutter. When you, when you are going to ride in somebody's car and they have to clear off the passenger side, this is a problem. <laughs> that's a great question. And uh, I take it seriously more so on the fun performance car that has a Porsche badge on it. The Jeep, yes, I try to keep it clean. But ultimately, the reason is... I'm the one that has to do the work to clean it out. It's not because you get food everywhere. Sure. Because you can clean that stuff up. Dirt doesn't bother me. It's the actual I have to take the time to go clean it up kind of thing, which <laughs> bugs me more than the, you know. But the soda down in the cracks of the shifter boot and the, yeah, that bugs me. So I don't, I don't go for that. And Cheetos, no Cheetos. No Cheetos. The orange stuff everywhere. Should, should I tell... Yeah. I should tell the terrible story of my own idiocy and my wife's cayenne. I should tell that. You should tell the story. story. Yes, you should tell the story. I, I was sitting in a parking lot outside of a grocery store. My wife had just run in to get something, and, I, and my son and I were having a conversation. And I, I'd been in the driver's seat, so I went over and I sat in the passenger seat, front side, and I, so I can sit right in front of him and talk to him. And I'm kind of sitting backwards in the seat and looking at him. And we're just talking for a minute, and I had forgotten that my awesome wife, who, huge credit to my wife because she does not keep clutter in her car. Yeah, oh, she keeps it drives it her nuts too. She it really And does. she does keep it clean. But I mean, but we use it. I mean, it's got stuff in it. Stuff happens. I have a, have a son and you know, a dog and there you go. So, but we're sitting, I'm sitting there in the Cayenne 
and I had forgotten two key things that make this story horrible. One, she had a large tumbler of Sprite in the in the cup holder, and the cup holders <laughs> on this generation Cayenne are not great. So, large tumbler of Sprite in the uh, in the uh, cup holder, uh, very full and without a lid. At one point, when I finished talking with my son, I turned to sit down in the passenger seat correctly, and when I did, my elbow strategically perfectly hit this full tumbler of Sprite, which was launched. I mean, you would think I had punched it. It was launched perfectly out of the cup holder, landing face down in the center of the driver's seat. Of course, these are power seats. They're perforated leather seats, power seats. There was so much liquid my friends, there was so much liquid that when I lifted so the cup liquid. away, oh, that's awful. There, there was an inch. There was an inch of Sprite puddled oh. in the seat that is now slowly draining through the leather, oh, through the perforations. Oh, and my son, and, and it's dripping out of the bottom, you know, through all the electronics. And I'm just thinking, Quick, this son, is the end right here. And my son, my son is looking at me, wide eyed in horror. So I did the world's fastest sprint to the gas station across the street and came back with like a mountain of napkins. And I'm, you know, like I'm (laughs) doing that kind of thing as if I had a squeegee. I'm wiping it out like a fast digging dog. I'm wiping Sprite out. My wife comes around the corner and says, what happened? (laughs) So I had to try to soak this up. Of course, it's gone everywhere. Now, to, to the credit of the seat, the seat still works in spite of us. But uh, that was one of my genius moments of, uh, of bad interior cleanliness. The lesson here, friends, is uh, good cup holders and lids on things. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I had a literal <laughs> puddle in the driver's seat that still has not killed the driver's seat, though I can only imagine the sticky mechanics that are in there somewhere. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, the cleaning. The cleaning. I'm cringing over here. But, uh, yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. I wanted to get to Michael, Michael George Newson's question here that you posted up, Michael, about uh, this was very thought-provoking for me. And okay. uh, it has to do with the relevant news about Mitsubishi and specifically about how Nissan can best capitalize on taking control of Mitsubishi or taking over. He's asking, Michael's mm-hmm. asking, is it too far gone? Is Mitsubishi too far gone? And I know what he means in terms of boring product lineup and just going after the economy car market and it's their, their cars. It's, it's, as Clarkson well, says, and then, their curtain material. And then it's just whatever. Well, but, <laughs> I don't care. But then don't the, care. Problem, the, pro- the problem on top of that is you've gone after an all economy lineup and then now revealed, oh, and by the way, we lied about their economy. So what have you got left? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I uh I'm still deciding. I mean the the question is very fresh and um if Nissan truly takes over Mitsubishi, I don't feel like both companies can continue down the same path that they've been going down because you know, Evo discontinuing production aside, they have their economy lineup, they have an SUV and a really hot performance car. So does Nissan. Mm-hmm. They have the Sentras, the Altimas, a mid-sized yeah. car, an SUV and their really hot performance car. I think Nissan does everything better. The new Murano is actually quite great. I mean, they've got variations. They've got the Rogue and all this stuff. They've got far more endless variations. They already do it better. Mm -hmm. I'm almost thinking about capitalizing on Mitsubishi as the performance that we know and love and really make it unique. It could exist in a different way, a different form, alongside the GTR or alongside the hot Nissan stuff. But if you really think about it... 
Nissan doesn't make a really hot four-door sedan. I mean a really hot one. Mitsubishi sure. did. Subaru does. But Nissan mm-hmm. never had that as a sweet spot. They've got the 370 and then all the way to the GTR. Nothing in between. So if they are yeah. truly yeah. taking over Mitsubishi, they could reposition the company and make it just a single model or just two models and make it like Maserati is to Fiat. It's not necessarily mm. not in a luxury vein, but just as the not relationship. A direct correlation. I see. Yeah. Yeah. The correlation yeah. to the company. I'm still undecided. That's my first thought about that relationship. Obviously, remains to be seen. But overall, the the biggest thought is I don't think they can just. Well, we've got this brand. Let's just keep making the same kinds of models and product lineup that they've always had. No, 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 no. Yeah, Mitsubishi. I, I agree with you there. I. I mean, the Stereon. As I ponder this. Remember the Stereon? I mean, that was a crazy. Yeah. It yeah, might yeah. Have not have been reliable, never driven one, might have been a piece of junk, but different, unique. Wow. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I actually wonder look, Mitsubishi's got an interesting history as far as sports cars is concerned, but clearly as a brand, they've completely walked away from that. And I, the one thing I do agree with you on here is I do think that what's possible is to kind of make it into a make the Nissan product line into a three-tiered product. Because now you have a two-tiered product. You have Nissan and you have Infiniti. Right. I wonder about taking Mitsubishi and making it the lowest tier. That Because what Nissan has done that I feel like is so weird in their product lineup is there's been this embrace of economy and CVTs with a couple of radical exceptions in things like the Z car and the GTR, which are feel like they're from another company. Right. So there's a part right. of me that wonders, almost like the old GM, where they had different variations with Pontiac and Buick, and they all did different, slightly different things. But I actually wonder if you take Mitsubishi and, and you just you make them the lower tier, and because you know they had K cars. Obviously, that's the thing I got in trouble for. But K cars, they had the iMeve they even brought to the states. They have taken that brand and gone so economy focused, which is what killed the Evo. I wonder if you make that the efficient, tiny economy brand. And then you allow Nissan to be a middle grade brand of some more interesting cars, some rear wheel drive stuff to to be kind of like the the better competitors for uh, the lower competitors than Infinity, but some of the same like rear wheel drive chassis and those kind of things, the kind of the way Chevy and Cadillac use their their lineup. Right. And then go Infinity goes luxury. I wonder about that three tiered model because I don't know that there's a way to bring Mitsubishi back as a a, a vaulted brand of this is this is an enthusiast brand. They have the history, but I do wonder if they're too far gone there and you just embrace the economy and you go with those entry-level cars and just separate the brands out. I, I'm thinking out loud. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's still a fresh question, like I said, but, uh, yeah, it remains to be seen what happens there, but it's certainly not going to be, you know, a fuel economy unless they, they really do. As you said, they really buckle down, refocus the brand, and, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, it's the new... Maybe it's all electric. Maybe the Mitsubishi brand is entirely electric. And Nissan still hmm. does, you know, gasoline engines you wouldn't over here. Have, or... You wouldn't have to lie about the emissions of an electric car. No, I'm going to say that. I'm sorry. I realize I'm kind of kicking a horse when it's down, but I, I just, you know, <laughs> if it's electric, the emissions are not are not something that's going to get lied about. That is that is a problem. You can step around that landmine pretty easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Funny, funny. Uh, All right, Uh, question from David. David Monty is asking about our opinions on classic cars. And uh, you're right, David, we don't talk much about classics uh, in that sense, mainly because we don't drive a lot of them because the classics existed. They had to exist to get the cars that we know and love now. I mean, we're all about the driving dynamics and, and love for that. 
But I love classic cars. We generally, speaking every year, we go to the Monterey weekend, Pebble Beach weekend, Madness. That is the third weekend in August in Monterey, California. And it is a celebration mm-hmm. of classic cars. But for those kinds of cars, I really feel like it's more about what they did for their era and sculpture. So from the 20s, 30s, 40s, mm. that mm. is rolling sculpture. Who cares how it drives? The fact that it even drives at all is a revelation. And the way sure. it goes down the road and you're adjusting the timing of the spark on the steering wheel and you know all these it's, things. It's moving art. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. rolling art. But then you, know, you get into the... You know, say that the 2000 GT from Toyota, those are, you know, that was the thing, these Japanese sports cars and, the, as you said, the 240Z mm-hmm. and, and muscle cars. They did a lot for their era, especially the 60s. And, Todd, you talked about the 70s on up to, what was the decade that you really hated? The 70s? Well, the through. 70s and the 80s. And, and I have a, yeah. can, I, can I go on a little, little side note there that I have been pondering? I, I'm going to give myself a challenge. Maybe I'll do this for next podcast. I, I called out the 70s and 80s as as decades I hated for cars. And then, of course, after saying that, I kept thinking, <laughs> of, of a wait a minute. <laughs> there's this car that's great, and there's <laughs> yeah. this car that's great. So in order to redeem myself and those decades, I think I'm going to give myself a challenge and try to pick my top 10 cars from those two lost decades hmm. that I should list on the podcast at some point. Maybe I'll do that next time because I do want to acknowledge there's some great stuff out of that era, but in general, just yuck. Anyway, and I also felt like I probably should have said 1970 to 1985 because I feel like by 86 and up, things start to improve. But I did say <laughs> 70 to 89, so I should bring come up with my top 10 or so. So I try to redeem myself uh, and acknowledge the fact there was some good stuff. But yeah, those are decades I didn't like. I mean, what, what you're saying that resonates with me is, I'll give you a great example. The Jaguar E-Type, okay? My dad owned two when I was growing up. I will acknowledge it's the car that got away from me. It is the pretty girl that got away. I cannot tell you how badly I want to drive an E-Type. And I mean really take some time and drive an E-Type. It is burned into my brain as a child. So that car is very special to me. It's all about nostalgia. And let's take my nostalgia away from it. It's nostalgic for many people. It's a gorgeous-looking car. It is rolling sculpture. What's fascinating is that as I have gotten into driving more and more things, I have begun to share some things with my dad. And the thing that he has said to me over and over and over again is how many modern cars that are not really even all that sporty trump the dynamics of that E-Type in every way possible. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Which which kind of makes me sad in one level. And he says it out of sheer wonder because he can't believe how good cars have gotten. So this is the difficulty with classic cars is because you have to accept – the fact that time has moved on, and that has to be okay. And so you have to either go, I'm going to take this classic car and make it all new components. So you've got the Singers, and you've got the the Jaguar Eagles, and you can take your 240 and put all new components under it. You can do that, and then you have the classic lightness, thin, this is involving, but it's got modern components. Or... You accept its limitations, and you make it the best for its time, and it is a nostalgic time machine. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's a different buy than I feel like what we talk about here on the car debate. I mean, you just take one look at the Jag, and it wins. It could drive Mm -hmm. terribly, and you take one look at it, and you go, okay, I give up. I give up. Look at that thing. It's just, it wins. welcome, Welcome to most of the historic Alpha lineup. (laughs) <laughs> Great to look at. Exactly. Might not move, 
Might not get out of the driveway, but I'd like to have that actually leaking oil in my driveway if I could. That's yeah, funny. I hear you. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I mean, this ties into a question from Lucas, Lucas Seawarer. Uh, he is asking about 80s and 90s cars creeping up in value, and he is asking about other cars that we're thinking about that aren't necessarily already on the forefront of people's minds, like most Porsches, especially 911s, and various cars. Mm-hmm. You've listed the E30 M3s. You've listed the that what I believe is a brilliant, uh, the four-door 500E, the Mercedes 500E, which, by the way, was assembled sure. by Porsche. They brought the... Mercedes body shells over to Porsche. You, you, you don't, you don't have to take every opportunity to mention Porsche. I just want to mention that anyway. to you, that, that, that we get it. We do get it. <laughs> I've heard it. The um, audience gets it. All right. Yes. All right. Um, Lucas, I think uh, it, it's hard to say that any particular brand or mark will skyrocket in value. I think it's going to be individual cars like you're listing here. And when we go mm-hmm. to the auctions, we'll see you know, a, a pristine early 90s Corvette ZR1. You think, wow, yeah, I don't think I'd want to own that car, and it's worth $200,000 now. But, you know, Corvettes across the board, you can still find reasonably priced C5 and C6 sure. Corvettes. They have not skyrocketed yeah. in value. Various cars of, you know, various makes and cars of, of out of the Corvette lineup have, and so that's why I think it'll be specific models like the Honda S2000. I think that's one. That you know, you find mm. a pristine example of that. I think uh, Porsche 944. You think they're going to start turning, going the other way? I mean, they're still. Yeah, I mean, I they're, they're like 99 to 2009, so they're they're later than that. But I it, take your take point. A while. I, mean, I wonder. They're at. They're kind of at the floor. They're kind of doing the Lotus Elise thing, where they're the same thing they were three or four years ago. They're just fifteen thousand dollars cheaper than the Elise. They're kind of hanging out fifteen to twenty, whereas the Elise is like thirty-five to forty. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Those those might go back up. That's a fair that's a fair point. They are they're unique and rare enough that they could do that. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I've seen that uh, the Mitsubishi three thousand GT VR four. I don't Good know for that you. that was. I'm glad a, you thought of that. I, I don't know that that was a super really well built car. Maybe we haven't driven it. It had the counterpart Dodge Stealth, which failed yeah. in comparison, but it's nearly the exact same car. But this Mitsubishi was so crazy looking. Along with Toyota Supras, they're you know, and a ton of tech, a yeah. ton of tech in that in that thousand as well. I think I mean Supras cars. have already jumped. Supras have already jumped. I mm-hmm. think the thing that will keep the RX seven from jumping, even though I think it's kind of worth it, is the rotary engine. I think is going to scare off a lot of people, even though I think pristine examples of that will go. And I think they're already moving, but I think a pristine late model U.S. build 300ZX, and I'm talking 95, 96. The 96s were a very rare car, just numbers-wise. They were all individually numbered, very rare. Those are already moving, but I think they're only going to move up. I mean, that's a car that was a little bit before its time in tech, but it was during those those glory years of the early mid-90s of Japanese sports cars with the quote-unquote gentleman's agreement. Right. Of you know, nothing was more than 276 horsepower, even though <coughs> all of it was more than that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Went. Anyway, in case you didn't notice, um, which you know comes back to the, and they're already more expensive than they should be, but it comes back to the the GTRs of that generation. You know, those mm, are worth good money. Sure. Sure. Uh, because you you just can't find them obviously here in the U.S. But I'm talking 95 or 96 U.S. spec 300ZX twin turbo six speed in good condition. That car is only going to climb. I, I feel very confident about it. it. makes me kind of sad because I'd like to have one, but apparently so would everyone else. So I think that car is already turning and heading up. But I think 
that is one I wouldn't be surprised if it goes places it shouldn't, honestly. Yeah, I think you're right. And on the high end, I will say Ferrari, specifically the 360 Modena that you and I keep talking about as still just mm, a clean mm. example, beautiful, uncluttered styling, bright colors look very nice on this car. And I'm actually, I went to my website as, as I was thinking, uh, the mgmsl.com. They have a 99 360 Modena. It's the automatic, uh, red with the, with the saddle interior, 78 grand. And I think really nice examples of that car are going to start climbing at some point. Now, I think with that car, you're only buying for speculative purposes. You're not buying for, you know, yes, driving enjoyment, but maintenance and, you know, cost of ownership and all that stuff is going to eat you. But yeah. in just terms of pure speculation, of course, Ferraris in general, you could say that across the board, but not necessarily. And well, I think I, that I would also say to you, I, would, I think that's interesting, but I think it's more interesting in gated six-speed. I think yes, that's the one. Actually, that's yes. the one that's going to make you money because those gated six-speed Ferraris are already climbing because they're becoming harder and harder to find, and you know that was second gen of their paddle shift transmission, their F1 transmission that debuted in the 355. That's second gen of that, so it was getting better, but it's now essentially 20-year-old paddle shift technology. So now it's abysmal by comparison. But a six-speed is a six-speed. And the gated shifter is one of those things that just has nostalgia and it feels Ferrari. I think that's where that car goes, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, look at this. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Marshall Goldman. This is the website I'm looking at. I'm scrolling through. They have a 91 Dodge Stealth RT twin turbo hmm. with 943 miles on it. Huh. Oh, my gosh. This is a time machine. What? What are they asking for? They're asking thirty-five grand, thirty-four-nine for this thing. Interesting. For Interesting. Twenty-five-year-old car that's brand new. Oh my gosh! Look at this interior. <laughs> that's one of those cars that in in ten more years is going to go across some auction block at a number, and we're all going to go. I'm sorry, you bought that for what now? Yeah. I, yeah. I can't believe I can't believe you and I are accidentally becoming a car speculation show. Boy, is that a mistake? Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I want to answer one more. Uh, Eric uh, wrote in, and uh, and he said, what is too old or too many miles to do performance upgrade to your car? He's specifically talking about his BMW 335, but he's also asking about the question in general. And I'm going to say, Eric, to you, there's two factors here that I think decide it. I don't think I can say to you with d a definitive answer, this is the way this works. But you've got to personally ask yourself two questions. One, how much do you love your current car? Is it just the car you'd never get rid of and you're always going to own it? Okay, then let's upgrade it. But if it's the car that you're like, well, it's the car I've got now and I just am kind of bored and maybe I should upgrade it, I think it's time to move on. But the other thing I would say to you is weigh your pain tolerance. And what I mean is look at the, what you want to do to the car cost-wise and realize if it's an older car anyway, once you start doing improvements to it, other stuff's going to break. It's just it's because the car is getting older. Other stuff's just going to need to be upgraded in the process beyond what you're even thinking. But kind of price out what you want to do to the car. And if that price point would get you into a newer, better car for the same money, I would say to you, again, unless you're married to that car, I would say to you, just move on. Just get yeah. that new experience. And to phrase it slightly differently, Eric, if the cost of keeping it running is suddenly more than the cost of the performance upgrades that you want to do to it, 
time for it to go. So mm. you got to just weigh, okay, I've got to keep it running versus the performance part. So you could put you know some performance part on, makes it better, stronger, faster, whatever. But uh, sure. yeah, just, you know, is the car starting to nickel and dime in you and then you want to do some sort of suspension upgrade or, all right, well, then, you know, you're not going to get the value back out of that car. Maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe maybe you don't care. Maybe you just love how it drives. Or, or well, uh, that's the thing. If it's a car say, that you're just, you really, oh, you couldn't yeah. ever get rid of it, then that's hard. I mean, look at, uh, we started with top, top of the podcast talking about our friend Justin with those two Mustangs. He knows that the GT350 he sold is a better sports car than the Boss 302. But notice he kept the Boss 302 and plans to indefinitely. This mm-hmm. is what we're talking about. Right. So if you've got a car that you have that kind of connection to, okay, you want to keep it around, you plan to always keep it around, and you want to upgrade it, then, hey, the car's going to stay stick around. Why not do stuff to it? But I think the bigger question is just where is the where's the tipping point? And I think if you're not really this car has to stay, I say move on. Great questions, guys. Thank you for so many. Just remember yeah. everydaydriver.com and everydaydrivertv at Gmail for the car debate. And then as we're doing here, the Facebook questions just for the the quick snacky type of uh, quick quick hit kind of questions. Mm-hmm. And they're good. They're they're stretching us. I like all this stuff. So thank you guys very and, much. And I want to offer one tease. See, we're doing these podcasts two times a week now. The, later this week, we are going to finally give you more information about what we're calling Everyday Driver Adventures. We'll have that information coming out for you. That is both the Chicago Track Day we've been trying to set up for a while. That information is coming on Thursday, as well as a larger thing we want to talk about at length on Thursday. Stuff that we've been working on for most of this calendar year behind the scenes. We're going to finally get to reveal that. So that is coming Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, wherever you're listening, that could be Google Play, Stitcher, or iTunes. Be sure you pass it on and rate and review. Many of you have been doing that. Thank you. Uh, and those of you that already have, I'm sorry to annoy you with the comment, but there are many of you that haven't, and we would welcome your review. <laughs> and speaking of uh, everywhere in the world, uh, from wherever you're listening, we did have a 1,000th Instagram follower whom That's we, right. we uh, sent. It was Fabian, right, in Munich, Germany? Mm-hmm. Yep. Fabian in Munich. Thank you, Fabian, for listening and for uh, being our 1,000th Instagram uh, uh, follower. Every 1,000, we're going to give away some stuff. We asked him he uh, from a series of things. We asked him what he would like. He wanted a free copy of our pilgrimage film, so he watched that on Vimeo. So I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts on that. And Pilgrimage, Mid-Inches of Mountains, and uh, 50 Years of 9-11, we have those on Blu-ray or on Vimeo. Paul will ship you a Blu-ray. He's got a pile of them. Uh, we'd love to have you watching those if you haven't seen them yet. And thank you to those of you that have watched and rated those. Thanks, guys, for listening and watching. Until later in the week. Cheers.